Welcome everyone. We are back to another week with your host Mordechai Weinberger on jrootsradio.com. We have an honor, of course, always to be hosted and you can see us live on jrootsradio.com. You can also watch us live on the Lakewood Scoop and on Yeshiva World. And on audios, we have it on jrootradio.com's phone line. We also have it on my phone line at 718-298-2011. And we now have specially being hosted on in Lakewood on FNW on their phone line. So I'd like to thank everyone for hosting it. As always, I'd like to start with a special thank you for Nissen for having us and for keeping Jroot Radio the way it's going. And Aaron, of course, as always, our amazing technician. So Thank you all for keeping it going. So again, it's your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker. We're here with a weekly program of Let's Grow Together. And to take any questions that you have on emotional, mental health issues or page that you got, looking forward to taking your question. The number to call and to ask your question is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. We've got several people on the lines already, so we're going to be taking them. For those of you that would like to text, you can text to the jrootradio.com number, but just be aware that we generally be taking the caller's priority over the text. Also, if you'd like, you can send a message on lakewoodscoop.com there as well. We can take them. So the number is the call in is 718-683-5858. We are going to go to Avram on line two. You're on the air with Mordechai. Avram. Yes, hi, Avram. Hi, Mordechai. Um, I have, uh, like, four comments for you. Sure. Okay, first comment, um, you're wonderful. I hear you the last four or five years on the color oil passed away, and you're getting much better and better with the communication with everybody. First one. Thank you. I appreciate Second, that. And Second actually, while one. you're on it, I always like appreciation. I'd like to thank Taka Color is the first one, which they were a uh, phone line, sort of like FNW, like the J Root has, J Root Radio has over here. And that was years ago. It's probably four or five years now that uh, we're on air. Started with a, a little wonderful place on Bar Hashem with Siata Deshmai. It has grown. Okay, this, um, let's tell you the order three things. Um, the, the second thing, the second I was hearing the show with Father Twisky. I was wondering when you ask something about Twisky, you say yes, no, no, yes. What he he can do, what he can do, and what he can do, he he gives the answer. And by you, I see that you try to help everybody. You don't say for everybody yes, no, no, yes. The second thing. So and, let's clarify uh, that the Dr. Twersky was very clear what is his areas of expertise, what aren't, and he and he was very clear with a yes and no answer. And when I answer, I still try to make it work for everyone. Okay. Is that um, what you're saying? Yes. I'm not sure if that's a Milo Chesarim, by the way. I'm thinking Dr. Twersky might be uh, more correct than I am, but that's all right. Thank you. Okay. And the third one, that I see that you're trusting more teachers and uh, more than... More than parents, you know, when a teacher calling up with a question, you give them the whole advice. When a parent calling up, you try to minimize the more. Well, I'm not clear, but let's understand that. When a um, teacher calls, when a teacher how do or I... asking, calling in the line, you try to give real advice and to help them to should help others. It's a mala. I see that you want to uh, should, 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 uh, should spread. Okay. And that's it. The fourth thing that uh, it's for me personal that uh, I want to need a recommendation. Um, was Hashem uh, good? Uh, maybe not. Maybe yes. But I need a little shock up. Okay. What's the fourth one? 
that I am my, am my own. I need a little shuttle up in my system in my daily life. I want to know who can guide me, you know, some uh, read a book or something who put me on the track. All right, so... Let's first start. What shuckle up do you need? You know, it could be a cooking. Then I can recommend a cooking book. If it's in Emun and Batafim, mm. we'll try to get you to a Rav or someone. Probably off the air, I'll make a recommendation or something or certain safer. No, um, if it's in business, we'll try to think of some business coaching. If it's in OCD, we'll try to come up with an OCD book. So when you say a shuckle up, the more details I have, no, no, the more... Okay, I'm going to tell you one word. You know, I'm, I can be like in my house, like three, four weeks, I can be everything should be clean, everything, I'm very messidic with everything, and everything is, is wonderful, my child, everything, but it can be like the four weeks, I've got a mess up, everything, I put down things on the table, on the bed, it's flying, everything, like three weeks can be wonderful, and the fourth week can be like a fall, like uh, down the drain. Yeah. Would you like to know a diagnosis for that? And uh, no diagnosis, uh, nothing. Uh, you want to shuckle up? Let me give you a shuckle up. The shuckle up is you're called a human being. <laughs> it's normal, Thank my you. friend. Welcome to the world of the living. Thank you. <laughs> I can tell you. You can speak to my wife and she can tell you about that, you know, especially. Uh, my wife should call your wife. Yeah, we can probably have that. They'll probably have uh, group <laughs> therapy pretty soon. We'll have a whole bunch of wives calling wives about their husbands. <laughs> But okay. uh, you're normal, my friend. What you're saying okay. is you're three weeks organized, Then, and I might give you some more information as to what's going on, and then you find sometimes the fourth week, or it could be one week, it's not necessarily, and then you find yourself getting not organized, disorganized. So we might be able to explain a little how it's working and how the mind works, so it can give you more understanding to understand why, how normal you are, and then what steps can be done for us to get into the process of staying, remaining the process. Staying in you know, there. I, it's lunch for me now, so I don't have so much time. So maybe you have a program on your line or just have this contact? I actually got a lot of them. I was just speaking over here to get, as I've mentioned uh, the last two weeks, I'm working on my website to be able to get them downloaded. But yeah, I've got a couple of them just offhand. I don't have the, the names of the list of all the programs that I have. But let me just give you, because there's a lot of people listening. Again, the large part of this program is for awareness, for those listening to get an awareness. So let's start with the awareness. And just as we go to the awareness, I was asked over here to, that we should all daven, say, Kapitel Tehillim, or Fushalemo, for Reb Avram Ben, ba, ben Banashve Juliet. Um, for Rav, if we can please um, say Tehillim. To have a full shalema. The number to call also for your question or comment is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. Oh, I'm finished? No, no, let's, let's now go ahead and deal with your question, or at least deal with the ad- advice. First, let's understand how the brain works. The way a brain works is the way most things work, computers, technician, anything that you'd like. The way it works is we need things to be organized. We have a process. Let's say we have a battery from 0 to 10, and let's say the battery can hold a 10 power. To organize, to keep things flowing, let's say it takes a 6 out of that power, so you've got 4 power left to divide to other things, to other tasks. What happens if all of a sudden there's another task that takes 5, that needs 5 power? We're marrying off a child. Um, business slowdown, we have business picked up and things are improving, and now it's taking battery power from our mind. 
So now you don't have any more the six to organize because you had to take one from that. So now all you have is five to organize. What happens if Baruch Hashem, as we get older, there are more steps in life that we need to juggle. And if we haven't learned to master, to organize with less power, what happens is now the time when we get overwhelmed, our focus, our brain prioritizes what's most important. So if right now it's more important that we should go to the wedding calm, then organizing the house will be less clean. Then you might now get a cleaning lady or you might have someone help you. And the same happens with business. If you just got this amazing big potential where your business can grow on tremendous levels, then what happens is the, you'll be letting go some of the other stuff. And what we need to get comfortable with is this process. A, to understand that this is normal, this process. And the second point for us to recognize is now how can we strengthen our muscles that while the process is going on, we should still be able to stay organized and still stay balanced. So you're a normal person which is saying life is growing and we need to learn how to grow with it. And that's why, Baruch Hashem, every stage in our life we grow, which means we cannot stay stuck on just one area. Make sense, Rabbi Aaron? Uh, Rabbi Avram? Yes, thank you for the my pleasure. Thank, thank you. Excellent. Great. We are going to go now to line one to Odea. Hello, Odea. You're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Fantastic. And how are you? Good. Is this live? You are live as live can be. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I have a six-year-old daughter, and um, she uh, is very smart, and she's the oldest. And um, she's basically, you know, she's she's doing great in school. The only thing is that she's like behind the, the teacher teacher's back. She's like a little sneaky with the girls. Like she she's like manipul manipulates her way to getting snacks or prizes. And um, I guess the, the the school's worried. I'm worried. You know, she does it at home also. Like she's always looking at uh, what other people have and. She's not satisfied with what she has, you know? So I don't know. Okay, so I'm just out of respect, and I appreciate that you waited on the line and you called in the brave, you know, the braveness that it takes to call, and I appreciate it, but I haven't announced this. So for those of you listening, we really are only taking parenting questions at older the age of eight years old for a specific reason, um, even eight and nine, because as I'm going to tell each of those parents that call in, your kid is 100% normal, healthy, and this is age appropriate and the tools how to change it when you need to change someone to teach someone how to change a behavior how to take assertiveness how to take control over the house is usually a four week i have my parenting class when i've done it is a four week program and it's probably going to be extended over the summer marriage show i plan on redoing it so we'll be able to offer it for people to listen to but it will be an eight week program but it's really a lot of behavioral training how to do it how to teach her it's not something i can describe or give it to you in three minutes right so how do I... I just don't have the answer. I, I, you know, here's why I surrender to the Rabbi Shalom. say, Rabbi Shalom, in three minutes, I cannot do that. This is an eight-hour answer. Now, where, where do I go to this class? Like, Any do I get parenting it? course. Take parenting courses. My recommendation is... I do. I've been, I've been to different ones. And then go one-on-one -on -one to that, to whichever one you've been by. I went to different therapies, I did play therapy, I did different things, you know? I don't know if play therapy is needed for your kid. I, From my experience many times, it's the parents that need the more assertiveness, how to put the kid in yeah. position. Right. Now, play so, therapy is when a kid has some emotional blockages that we're not able to express. 
Sometimes, not most of the time I would say, when I find with children is they need healthy assertiveness. Healthy assertiveness does not mean control, does not mean dictatorship. It actually means healthy assertiveness. And it's something that just takes a little while to educate. It takes it just takes practice. You go step one, then you need a week to practice. We always know most of the time at week two, I can tell you the problems that you've had. Then you go through the information for week two. Then you go to week three. Usually by the end of week three, you're able to master 80% of the issues. This is such classical behavioral issues that is just when a kid is sneaky, how to help the kid, how to get him to stop. But it's just something that you work your way up. It's, it's an hour and a half lecture, each of them to get to week four. So you're asking me, what do I do? What's the practical application? But that's week four. So I I need about eight hours of information to just tell you. So those parents that listen to it, I just told them, okay, do, you know, do step one, step eight, step three. And then they go, you're right. You know something, I did one and eight. I just missed three. And that's why it worked most way, but it just didn't follow through. So it's not because I don't want to answer for those listening. It's just, I need to give you X amount of tools and then with each question, I need the callers to know those tools and then say, okay, so now we need to use step six, step two, yeah. and then step eight. So that is the main reason why parenting questions is very skills-based, actually training. And I just can't do that in three minutes. You give that course? I've given the course. I haven't done it over the year, and I need to update it. So that's why I don't have the course right now. That's Merit Hashem. One of the goals of the Rebbein Shalom permits me to do with Siata Deshmaya, we'll do that over the summer. I want to do that for parents and, and for teachers as well, um, yeah. a system that can take out almost at least 80% of the behavioral controls that go on when the kid doesn't want to listen, the kid isn't on time, the kid doesn't want to accept the no, the kid's not doing the homework, where we don't have to involve the parents, you know, kids don't want to share, you know, they don't want to play with others, and it's pretty simple behavioral, but it is still an 8 to 10 hour process just to get the information training, and then it's easy to implement. So I thank you for calling in, and I apologize that just not able to right now to address that question. All right. Okay, what's, what's your email? <laughs> uh, my email, I can't give you know how many questions I get a day. It's, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, my, the way to contact me is over here through the radio. This is the chesed that I'm doing, you know. Okay. There's a question to All do right. it over here. I appreciate the interest. Thank you. You're thank very you welcome. We are going to go now to line three to Shandy. Shandy, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I would like to address something that's a little off topic. With, with pleasure. Okay. okay. Um, it's about apology, about apologizing. Yes. Okay. Um, as far as I know, there are three components applying to apology. The first one is taking responsibility. Yes. The second one is no use of the word but anywhere, and no excuses or blaming. Yes. And the third one is a tone of voice that conveys the feeling that you mean it. Now, what happens if we receive an apology that's imperfect, and we find it hard to accept? How do we deal with that one? All right. Wonderful. So let's first start with the first steps. I so appreciate with the first part of your call, which is an amazing awareness. And that is many times people go, I asked, I asked you in a mibir, I asked Mechila, I apologized to someone and somehow it didn't go in. Especially between couples you have that, especially between siblings, when, you, when a parent will tell a child to apologize, I'm sorry. 
And there, as you've said, the three components that are missing is number one, it's got to be sincere. Number two, you can't do but. He started it, she started it. If, if you wouldn't have done that, then it would have happened. It's got to be responsibility. As you said, number one, take responsibility. Number two, talk about your part only. And the third part is tone of voice. If someone says, I'm sorry, it won't go in. The apology will not be accepted. That is... I would like to give the answer myself, actually. Sure. <laughs> and I'm, I just want to say Hold this on, to so the let's audience. repeat your question, and then I'd love to hear your response. I love it. Those of, those of you out there listening that are my clients know that one of the systems that I do that annoys clients pretty much is I go, and what do you think is the answer to that question? And my goal <laughs> is to get them to be responsible. So now your question, what was your question? Why don't you share it with everyone again? Okay, so how do we deal with an imperfect apology? Yes. Okay, so the first one is, actually, not the first one, but this is the answer. you got to be generous, which means you have to literally accept an imperfect apology. It is very difficult to admit when one is wrong, and if the person who hurt you is trying to fix what they've done, you too ought to try to accept that and let go. Let go of the anger and the hurt if you can. If you can't, you might say something like, it hurts so much right now. I appreciate your apology, and you don't need to apologize again, but it may take me some time to feel okay. So, all in all, you got to learn to be generous with, with, accepting, with accepting that. Excellent. So and, since you're someone another, that has tremendous insight, let me take the question that clients ask me. So we're reversing roles. Here, you'll be the therapist or the one with the advice. So let me go share the next level of the question that it goes. But how could I be generous when they do it all the time to me? And I, I only ask you because I'm pretty sure you have the answer. Okay, it's what I said before. It's, um, we, we know that it's very hard to admit when someone is wrong. Yes. And if the person who hurt you is trying to fix that, what they have done, you too ought to try to accept that and let go. You also have to give up yourself. The person that is trying to apologize, even though it's not so perfect, has gone out of his way to try to fix that. So a person has to give up himself also a little bit and let go, even though it's not so perfect as the way you want it to be. Okay, very nice. So let me take that and also give another suggestion to that. So what you're saying is we got to learn to forget and forgive, like move on. The person can do the best that they can, and it doesn't have to be perfect your way. Yeah, we're talking about classical behavior. We're not talking yeah. when someone is taking advantage of you and he's suffering right. from codependence. So here's where I will take the next step. I happen to have an entire program on forgiveness. And one of the main yesoidists and theories over there, it's on my phone line, where it's, I think, from the last three or four programs that I gave. And what I find is when, when people ask forgiveness and we can't let go, it's because we first haven't forgiven ourselves. And I'm going to say this and people are going to be jumping. But the theory is that when we, when we are hurt, we have a weakness that we've permitted that other person to hit on our weakness. Now, it's not that we permitted the person to hit on our weakness, it's that we haven't healed our weakness, and therefore someone just put pressure on a raw nerve. And we might be angry at ourselves for not protecting ourselves better, we might be angry at ourselves for not working on that issue, 
And it's so much easier to blame the other person. But when we actually look at ourselves, so when someone would come into my office and they're already healed a lot of the pain, I'm able to do this real deep surgery. I go, okay, now why do you need to forgive yourself for that? Now it could be that a husband that doesn't give them enough money. It could be a child that's doing some negative stuff. And while they have every right to be angry at the child, I go, now what's your responsibility in this? Where do you feel guilty to yourself? And it might be, oh, because I have a brother that's similar to that and I'm still reacting just like my parents are. Or I was always afraid this will happen. This was my biggest fear and now someone is doing that. Or I was always afraid of being controlled or getting the no and now when my husband says no, that's why I take it so personal. The real deep level, which is the inner work, is when we can look at ourselves and to see what is our responsibility, why the other person hurt us, and then to forgive ourselves, that is the ultimate level. Many times we'll see we really do not forgive ourselves. We really blame ourselves. Right, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Shane, I appreciate all of I that. I appreciate Thank the call and the information, and I also enjoy the role reversal of our roles with you giving the advice. It's a pleasure. It makes my Thank job a little so easier much. over here. Thank you for calling Thank you. in. Bye. Okay, we are now going to go to Aaron on line two. I see we have someone on line five, and I don't see his name up here. Um, Aaron on line two. And the number to call in for your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. You are listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. It's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker, here to take what questions and comments you've got as well in the mental health field, as well as we would like to thank JRIT Radio. You can watch us live on jritradio.com. You can watch us live on the Lakewood Scoop on Yeshiva World. We're now audio live on both, of course, the jritradio.com's phone line, on my phone line, and on FNW. Welcome to the team of having people. So again, the number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. Aaron, on line two, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yeah, how do you get rid of OCD? Oh, and you want that all in 30 seconds? Huh? And you want that all in about three minutes or less? <laughs> See, if I was Hilla Zakan, I'll tell you, I'll achas. Sagi, you know, the Lushen over there is. So um, uh, I could use a little bit more information to that question <laughs> over there. Oh, and you want that all? You you know that question is impossible if Fidar Hateva to do in five minutes or less. How long do you have to how long does it take? It depends on the case. First we need a forty five minute evaluation. Is it even O C D? We might not even know if it's O C D. Then we gotta see how severe it is. We gotta see how long it is. Then you gotta see what different types of mo- of, of therapists, different types of modality, because there's a lot of them that can help. You gotta see which one works with you. There is so much involved. But step one is who said it's O C D? Many times I get issues of people coming to my office and they self-diagnose, so they read an article somewhere and now they're diagnosing. And many of the diagnoses, in order to, before you diagnose it, you need to rule out other situations. I just had recently come to me, the yeshiva said, this kid is ADD. I went through, I went through the whole list over there and the guy had no ADD. But before we diagnose ADD, you want to make sure there's no anxiety around. And sure enough, this kid matches a lot of issues for anxiety. So before we even assume that it's OCD, we first got to know, is it OCD or not? All right, we are going to go to line five, Anonymous. Okay, Mr. or Mrs. Anonymous, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yes, good afternoon, Mr. Anonymous. Yes. 
my question is, I'm supposed to get married in the... Do you, let me just, hold on, before we go, do you want to ask your question because you're live? Many people right Nick might recognize a voice. I just want to do that, and then to change it and to remove questions is very, very complicated, especially you're on air live, and sometimes we've had stories. I can probably write a, not a whole book, but at least four or five chapters. So while your name is anonymous, just be aware that after this, your question and your yes. voice might not be anonymous. Okay, I understand that. Good. Go ahead. Uh, my question is, uh, um, according to the plan, I'm supposed I'm supposed to get to get married, my second marriage, uh, uh, before or after Shuas, and I have I have two children from my first marriage. So how do I divide the responsibilities to be fair to uh, the mother of my children and my children from the first marriage, and be loyal and responsible to to my wife and five kids from the second marriage? Okay, so I'm going to ask you a little bit more information so this way we can understand it a little bit clearer. Your yeah. question is that you're now going into a second marriage, or you're yeah. in a second marriage, or just about, because it really doesn't matter, like, the timing of what's going on, because this is a real general question. And now yeah. you're starting to find it complicated how to balance being loyal to your current wife with their children plus to your yeah. to your children. Right, yeah? and, and it's, it's also actually the mother of my children because... It wasn't. It wasn't a divorce of hatred. It, it was a. It was a peaceful divorce. We didn't understand ourselves. So I, I still feel responsibility to. First, I feel it to mother the children because they're not wealthy, and even before, even before the, even before for Pesach, my eleven-year-old son told me that that his mother is a bright kid and understand the situation. He told me that his mother needs to, to buy clothing. So, so I, I gave him a few hundred dollars. For, for the mother. So actually, the mother of the children is also in the picture. Okay. So this makes it so much more complicated. Yeah. That much more, and I'll explain it to you why. Yeah. Because in order for us to go to the future, we need to be able to build on the future. And for whatever yeah. reason, Baruch Hashem, you're able to have a peaceful divorce, for whatever reason, yeah. the way that's a positive. On the yeah. other hand, part of you is still feeling responsible for her. Right. Now, what's happening is, in your mind, you are now responsible for a wife, for five yes. children, to yes. your previous wife where you're concerned. So there's emotional feeling bad for her. It means there's a responsibility in your mind that if you hear she's having a tough financial time, you want to help her. Plus, yes. you have your children, which is your immediate achrayis, which generally, when I yes. do orders of importance, I always put rabbinish leilam, self, yes. spouse, means husband or wife, then kids, right. in that order. Yes. If yes. we don't have ourselves, you cannot take care of your wife or your children. Then comes right. now, then comes a wife, then comes children, and then her children, and then it depends on the order of importance. Since you guys are married, yes. your children, her children, and all that level. Yes. And what I'm going to tell you, my friend, is this is now a balancing yes. act that you're going to need to learn. But here's yes. my advice going to come to you a little bit different than what you wanted to hear. It sounds okay. to me that you're a person that's not just balancing yourself, Rachnius, wife, children. It sounds to me that yeah. you're the type of person that you love saving the entire world. And when anyone has a problem, you're busy carrying around with them. It's actually, I feel that that was uh, my first wife was claiming, even if I would see a person that's treated homeless, I would feel it's my, I would feel it's my, it's my responsibility to... To, to get the social services involved and to help that's that right. person. To, that's right. Yeah. 
And what that is generally called, I'm just going to give you some information again. That's a word that I've been using the last couple of weeks because almost half yeah. the calls are coming in. So the yeah. first diagnosis, I always say that I would diagnose almost everyone in the from world is with a perfectionist. It's not a legal diagnosis. Yeah. And the right. second one, which is a quasi-semi-legal diagnosis called codependence. There's no, as far as I yeah. remember, there's no. Codependence means... I yeah. feel so bad for Yenem that I cannot enjoy my today because Yenem, that person, is having a hard time. And yeah. what happens is it affects our mind, it affects our bodies, it affects, means people yeah. don't go to sleep, people give away their money, and it affects Shalom Bias. Yeah. So my recommendation to you is it's not about how to manage now your children, how to balance that. The first yeah. step is for you to learn how to balance yourself. How can I be uh -huh. in this world and how can I learn to say the word no and no means I love you. No is not that I don't like you. But here's right. where I'm going to take it a step further. Do you know where most people that have codependence, where it comes from? Either they have a yeah. parent that was that way, or they had a parent that had a hard time. And these wonderful good hearts try to compensate for their parent. So just as an example, let's yeah. say your parent was always messy. And they couldn't yeah. clean up the kitchen. And the father would come home angry. So then you might yeah. have the good son or the good daughter that would clean up now the kitchen. This way, the parents shouldn't come home angry. So they're I, trying. I, I was almost about to say. I was almost about to say you have prophecy, but that's actually what happened when I when I grew up. Yes, my friend. It's not prophecy when it says sometimes the chacham adaf minavi. When we say that, <laughs> yeah. to okay, me, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, simple. Yeah. I'm saying I do psychology all day. And yeah. I, like sometimes people go like, when you answer the question, how do you know? It's not how yeah. do I know. You've given me all the answers, the level of depth. Yeah. That's why right. I'm giving you these type of examples. I can give you many more examples. You'll probably tell me eight out of, eight out of ten of them I'm right. The yeah. level of codependence, the level that you care, the way you're telling me and the way it sounds almost like overwhelmed, how yeah. do I manage? Right. It's pretty clear that you've had pretty extreme stuff. Let me ask you, yeah. are you the oldest? Are you from the oldest two in your family? I would say again, it's, it's Are you from the oldest child, number one or two in the family? I'm number one. Number one. I was going to say one, but I want to give myself a little breathing space, which is classical positions for number one in the family. Yeah. I'll give you another classical case where someone has sent me a message. I haven't even addressed it yeah. yet on my phone line. Where they go, what do we yeah. do? But this person is now looking, is getting married, and yeah. their father isn't bringing in enough of a parnosa, and it's normal for the father to take this kid's yeah. salary to survive and when the kid says but i want to buy myself some it was a girl saying i want to buy myself an outfit and he goes oh you think yeah. your outfit is more important than our hours than our family's money but yet the father yeah. isn't working so he's yeah, so. got the system set up where he's not working and all the kids that are working which then affects shaduchim because unfortunately the kid yeah. you know shaduchim because there's an income coming on and we hope there's a lot of unhealthiness and my advice to that person is basically speak yeah. to a rav. This is halacha shailos. Shailov kibud of aim is very serious. The the dairisis, yeah. they're in the seris adibris, but at the same time, if it's unfortunately not a mitzvah, if it's an avera, you need to but speak the, to a rav. But the, yeah, but the, if I could add the heads from probably here, this is from it's Yes. So, so here's the thing: was it's, it's a, I didn't realize, but it's a clear prosecutorial. Okay, you have the issues, all the similar with the So you have to leave your parents. All these things are it, wonderful and they're true, but me as a role of a therapist, that's not my role to say. That's why I need I'm, a rov okay. to bask in that. So I agree with you, and I know that, and I've got many more psukim that I say. But on <laughs> ear, when you need a rov, you need a rov, and these are very yeah. hackle. Means people listen to this, and then people many times take it the wrong way. I'll uh -huh. share with you guys some of my therapy. I've recently got a call from a Rav 
a very chashu yeah. rav that I highly respect. And this person tells yeah. me, are you moider, are you makhish, that he gave certain heterim uh, to certain people yeah. that shaloyka Allah, I said, I'm sorry, I'm makhish gomer, I deny it completely. Yeah. And then we yeah. went into how the person misinterpreted, but it still bothers me. In my yeah. heart, and I know that, so we need to be aware that when we deal with people, yeah. and when many yeah. people listen, and some people might be going through pains, again, this is part of right. my business, part of the business is you're prepared for that. But right. we need to still acknowledge that people that are not healthy will take things what they want. And therefore, when it comes to halacha shayla, I am very big in saying, please contact your local rabbi or I'll help you contact the rav. So I yeah. agree with you, but it can be taken the wrong way. And actually, the, actually, there's time for a second question. Go ahead, and we'll, let's do it quickly because the lines are yeah, yeah. all full I'll, now. I'll, I'll do it as short as possible. Actually, I hope to be able to get married in uh, June second, and, um, and and my fiance she asked from the college, she asked me whom I, whom I want to invite, and and actually when I and when I had my difficulties, my my siblings they just turned a blind blind eye. They, they told they told my mother they're ashamed of my situation. So actually, in my heart, I, I don't want—I don't want to lie to them because I, I am by the concept of friend need is a friend indeed. It's not—it's not—it's not just showing up a funeral by wedding. So I, I don't want to lie to them, but but some other one. So so what what's the real way to look at it? So let's try to do an entirely different spin on it. Being that we know now pretty clearly you're codependent. Codependent means it's hard yes. to say no. What also yeah. means is, and I will share with you, I will use the word we, because I find myself in that position so many times. When I yeah. do my personal sessions, those are one of the big things that I work on in my life. So I'll use yeah. the word we. We have a difficult yeah. time saying no. We feel guilty when we say no. And therefore, many yeah. times, we don't verbalize to that brother, sister, family how hard it is. Yeah. So they right. might not even be aware that they hurt you or how bad they yeah. hurt you. And when yeah. we might finally just say a little bit, you know I'm insulted, they go, eh, what are you worried about? What did I say? Yeah. And right. it was yeah. our issue. Like the last call it said about forgiveness, yeah. we need to be able to forgive ourselves and take ownership yeah. that we are not being verbal enough to our brothers and sisters and saying, let's say in your case, yeah. you know during the divorce you didn't support me. At this stage, yeah. I need help. I'm now marrying a, a woman with five children. My ex-wife doesn't have any money. Yeah. You want to help me? Help her out. It was a yeah. peaceful divorce, but she's mother of my children. When she's suffering, my kids are suffering. They're your nephews, your nieces, they're your grandchildren. Help them out a little. But if we're not verbalizing it, we're not talking about it, then it holds us yeah. back. So before we go into not inviting them to our weddings, I'm a huge yeah. believer in those that come to my therapy. I'm very focused on client-centered theory which means yeah. what is my problem in the situation. And then right. you will see the minute we work on our problems, how relationships clear up, how it's not our brothers and sisters. And now, yes, yeah. you might be upset at two, three brothers, but once we work on this, you might be close to all your brothers, and there might just be one or two negative people, which they are negative. And people that yeah. are negative is unhealthy to be around them. So I'm not saying you got to separate or don't invite them or do it. What I would say is work on yourself. And yeah. figure out your weaknesses. And then once you work on your weaknesses, you see how situations change. Thank uh -huh. you, Rabbi Anonymous. The Rabbi Shalom should help you that you should go to the Shidduch with the yeah. right Medirechtafis. It should be a Keshashel Kayama, a Binyan Adayad, Mertzeshem, Nachas from your Amen. children, from her children, because you're now all one family. The Rabbi Shalom should send you amazing, wonderful Gazunta kids and Nachas Parnasa together with your wife till 120. And to be able to be a Shemel Teferis of the Rabbi Shalom, you should have a bias that the Rabbi Shalom is in your house with Shalom and Bracha and everything. Thank you for calling in. All the, all the Bracha to your family. Amen. Great. 
We are now going to line three to Yitzi. You're on the air with Mordechai, and thank you for holding. Yeah, hi, Mordechai Shalom. Um, first of all, great for your programs. I, it's always a pleasure listening to you. My pleasure, um, thank you. And uh, you know, the Tadikin says the best that you could do is to give away your knowledge, not your money. So this is um, what you do, and you have this what's the problem. Um, so thank you. I, there's like also another that. beautiful Gemara that I love. The Gemara is in Baba Basra. I'm pretty sure it's Daftes Ahmed Bey. It's pretty sure offhand. But uh, it says over there that Tzedakah, when you give actual money, you're getting seven mitzvahs, I'm pretty sure. And if you smile and you make someone feel good, you're getting 11 mitzvahs. So I always uh-huh. make the Kolsch game. When you're actually doing therapy and you're changing now a person's entire life and the whole family and diarist, I look at that as also one of those beautiful... Things. So thank you for those listening. It's not just it's not just Archa Sadiqim, it's a beautiful Gemara. Thank yeah. you. Good. Um, Rabbi okay. Let's go hear what's going on. So the question is like this. Um, a person that loves to give, yes. um, even when it's not necessary, is that Avaskasad or that's um, an issue? And Avaskasad is to love that a person should always have. Let's try it differently. Since it sounds like a halacha shaila, I would tell you, the, first of all, the Chavetz Chaim's got an entire safer on Havas Chesed, called a Havas Chesed. And let's try to turn it into a psychology question, because this is a halacha position that I don't have the answer to. Uh-huh. If we can turn it into a psychology issue, is it not healthy to give when you're not helping someone? The answer is definitely not healthy. Are you doing chesed to someone? The person doesn't need chesed. Or when the person helping them remain stuck in the problem is making their situation worse. What would you say? Would you see, say that is chesed? Um, no, I wouldn't think so. Um, but the question is not when, not when you're making the problem worse. It's just that the person always loves to give and he like always pressures people to take, even though, even though they really don't need it. So let's they really go ahead and take it. that. Imagine you are someone that you love giving. Let's take it the other way. Let's say you're a healthy person. You like giving and receiving. Now, someone is trying to shove stuff down your face. I am going to take you somewhere, and I'll be there at 8 o'clock. And then they get upset why, why you're saying, but I don't want 8 o'clock. I want rather 8.15 or 8.30. Will you appreciate what that person is doing? No. How do you th- what will happen to the relationship when you are getting more than you want and in ways that you don't want to? I think it would be uh, quite a problem. That's right. Now, what would happen if this guy is almost addicted to giving because the only way he can get recognition is by giving? So these people are now perpetual givers. Do you think these guys really have friends or people are interested in being around them? No, I don't know. Good. Now let's take it one step further. Who are the few people that love being around these givers? Um, Unhealthy takers. Now, unhealthy takers means whatever you give them is never enough. So now this uh-huh. giver will find himself generally hanging about around those people that are always needy. Now, when someone gives, what do they want to get back? Why are they always needing to give? They feel good when they give. That's right. And when they don't give, how do they feel? Um, I guess they feel held back. That's right. So they have now gotten into that addictive stage of I, my self-esteem is only something. I only exist when I give. So now the ones that really take all their giving are the ones that are always those takers. 
Now, unfortunately, when someone is a taker, they're usually stuck in a lot of pain. I'm not talking about someone that's a giver and a taker. That's healthy balance. That's the world. We're supposed to be able to be a makabal and a mashpia. Both. If you're only a makabal, unfortunately, it turns you into a negative. You're always a rachmanis. You're always a victim. Now, if you're a victim, if you tell someone, thank you, what's the biggest fear of a victim? If I say you help me, what's the biggest fear? What was that again? If I'm always a taker, if I always have to be a victim, and I tell right. you, thank you, you just saved my life, what am I afraid of then? I'm afraid you're going to stop. Uh-huh. Which means, what's the one thing I could never do? I can never tell you thank you. If I ever tell you thank you, I'll always krechts with another problem that I have to make sure you're still giving. So uh, what happens is that dynamics, that dance of the giver, the perpetual to be a giver and the perpetual taker is, the giver is always feeling depressed. I'm giving you so much and you can't give me a thank you. You can't say it's enough. And the taker is always saying, I need more. You didn't do good enough. You should have done it differently. You should have done it better. Right. And so what ends up happening is you don't have the guy that's a giver and he needs for his self-esteem to be a giver. He usually cannot give to a healthy person because a healthy person will say, I appreciate what you've given me. Now I don't want it. Right. So now let's take your question. Now that we got all the theories, let's ask your question again. I'd like you to answer that. So now, Rabbi Yitzhi, let's roles reverse. I am calling you up for advice. I have a problem that I must always give people even if they don't want it. Is that a good thing or not? What would you answer? I think that would be an issue. That would be? I think that would be a problem. Excellent. And clarify, why is it a problem? You're Mordechai. Go ahead, Yitzhi. Take it away. Um, I think the problem would be, since the person doesn't want it, you're not doing him a favor. If you want to really do him a favor, you do something that he really wants. That's right. Um, I think it actually would be a chastity for the person to take it, because this person really wants to give it. There you go. Now, what would be the advice? So now we're turning around the question differently. And now I'm, again, asking you, Yitzhi, consider yourself Mordechai. I'm a guy that I have a bit of a weak self-esteem that I only feel great when I give. What do you suggest yeah. I do about that? Um, try to give to people who need. Okay, that's well, one way, but yeah. that's still feeding the illness. Right. Which means we're not learning how to be happy within ourselves. We're not learning those steps. Or that's where I would have gone. As a therapist, that's where I would go. So the real right. issue is that you're not happy with yourself only when you give. Well, how can we get yourself happy with yourself even when you're not giving? Um, I don't know. You would have to know what the underlying issue is. That's right. So now, Rabitzi, let's go ahead and ask you if you'd like to do it on air. What is the underlying issue that either you or the person that you're thinking about must always give? I'm not exactly sure. All right. Well, can I take it more personal? Is it you the one asking the question for yourself or you're asking no. for? All right. No, so then if it's for someone else, and that's where we need to have that person identify and recognize. So when uh -huh. someone are all those gitta people, as they say in Yiddish, you're such a gitta, means you're so good. Many times I change that word for good as in weak. You're so weak that you're afraid to say no. And saying yeah. no is the balance that we must have. At every second of this world, in one place it is turning light. The Rabbi Islam is making morning, which everyone always views as positive. And at the same second, somewhere else in the world, it's turning dark. This second, we need to learn that the balance from the Rabbi Islam. There's a yes and a no. The polarity is a duality. There's a yes and there's a no. There is six days of work. There will be that one day of Shabbos. There's that morning, night. There's life. Children are being born. There is death. People are nifter. This balance of how to give, when not to give. 
If someone tells you, please go and, you know, and do, and do certain Averis, we got to have the inner confidence to be able to say no. Right. Rabbi Yitzhi, thanks a lot for your call. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much. Amen. And siyata deshmaya weiter. We are going Amen. to Leah on line one. Leah, you're on the air with Mordechai. And actually, for those of you listening in now, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW, on jrootradio.com. You can listen to us live on jrootradio.com. You can see us live, what it looks like in the studio over here. It's at jrootradio.com, on the Lakewood Scoop, on yeshivaworld.com. You can either text or write your questions from the Lakewood Scoop. And believe that we will take some of those, although we take first the live callers as well. We have now FNW hosting our live phone line, so you can hear us on jrootradio.com on their phone line, which is 712-432-4217. You can hear us on my phone line, which is 718-298-2011, where there are about 60-something shiurim, daily questions and answers, positive motivational quotes over there, and um, on those levels. We have on the Lakewood School, actually, you know, let's go to Leah. Leah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yeah, hi, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure, Baruch Hashem. Uh, I really would like to thank you for everything that you do on your phone line, all over. I listened to your recent um, thing that you did in Montreal for the woman. Oh, yes, thank you. It was, it was really, really great. All right, so um, I guess we'll just tell everyone. I was invited and I was flown into Montreal to give a speech, and we had over there about a 1,000 people, so we divided it separate for women, separate for men. Women were in English, men was in Yiddish, and it was really nice. It was a beautiful experience. Yeah, yeah so I posted that hour drasha on, on my phone line over there, yes. Yeah. Okay, so my question is, um, I need a little, I, well, I would like to have your opinion about um, something that I'd like to go into, um, career or job, I don't know how you would like to call it. Um, what do you see as an um, alternative type of therapy? I'm not referring to any energy or any type of... So would you tell me the name? I know some of alternative therapy modalities out there. I tell you the truth, I'm cool with about these things. Just for me, it's really not shy for me to go to college or anything. Now, for sure, not maybe in the future. So, I it's just I like you know doing the not not, not the coach part, like life coach. I like doing the healing part, like doing like like I don't know. It's called like therapy, psychotherapy for like um, but just going for trainings, just doing a lot of training and supervision, I guess, privately. So- all right. So what your question, I'm a very, very, very big believer in that. And that means any training that you get will help you in your life. And if you can help friends or people like that, I'm a very, very big believer in that as well, helping friends, speaking to them. And as long as you clarify the difference of when you're a therapist, or let's say how much training you have, because just to be clear, and even with myself, I get cases where I say, sorry, this is out of my expertise. And that is, quote-unquote, I'm licensed. So now people think, oh, if you're licensed, then you know what you're doing. And that's not necessarily true. License and then training gives you expertise in a certain area. So I am a very, very big believer in people taking courses, people growing, and in people helping each other. In fact, you have all those groups, the 12-step groups, Al-Anon, those are all run by people within themselves. You don't have licensed people running them. And it's a huge, powerful system, Gammonon, and, and all those other systems. So again, I'm a very, very, very big believer in, I'm a very big believer in people, um, sorry, in people getting information. Now, when you want to help others, you also need to realize when you are helping them and when you're not helping them. What's That's making my things- question. 
I just want to make sure that, you know, I could go for training, but I obviously want to go that, to training that, you know, it's reliable and professional, and they know they really, they're not just like, you know, they really know what they're talking about. And I'm sure, like, here I'm not going through college. I'm not, you know, getting all the information. Well, let's understand, that. you won't get that if you're not going through, in other words, imagine someone's going to college, they're having about 3,000 hours of supervision, 3,000 hours of more. I had to do 24 hours a week of actual working with people, hands-on experience before I'm able to work with two supervisors watching me, plus information, courses on diagnosing, being aware of different stuff, and you want to know how you're going to get that without getting that. It's a little bit hard. Think, right. Do you think specializing in, like, in one area, like maybe one, two areas, like, like let's say, um, like disorders that I like do for the global self-esteem or... Like, I would, like, refer to, like, um... All right, so let's get it. Let's understand that. Let's, that's a fantastic question. And here's many times where I have that issue with certain therapists. And I'll agree, and many people do believe in that. And I'll tell you my issue with that. Let's say you specify, let's say someone sees things in OCD. And this is one of the things in college where you have to write a paper. And most classes, they do for and against, and they show both sides about diagnosing. Part of the negative response to diagnosing is that certain therapists are prone to see everything as OCD, as everything as depression. Certain therapists will diagnose everything bipolar. Certain therapists will diagnose everything. And many times their experience is there or they went through their life experience with that and therefore they're diagnosing everything like that. That's the cons, why you should not be diagnosing. The pros for diagnosing is it gives you a language, one therapist to tell the other one, how am I going to say this person's got something? In 30 seconds, I can just give a diagnosis, give the certain points to it and everything makes sense. So what you're asking again is if you go to, oh, uh, to uh, let's say, building a self-esteem, of course it can be great. But what happens if there are issues other than your scope recognizes and you don't even know how to identify that? I've got people that tell me that they go, let's say, to the not professionals for three years. I've got people, unfortunately, crying to me that they went to professionals for three years. Rabbi Nishlam, if you're not seeing the growth change, get a second opinion in three weeks, in three months, max three months. So let's go again to you. You're... We want to know about going into a field that I feel takes a lot of work. Now, if you go in that way with the humility that I've just taken a course in self-esteem, that's what I could work on. You see cases that are bigger than that. You do not stay there because that's part of the training that we get that those beginners or those people that don't go through the professional training don't realize. By you helping a person that has got major OCD, major anxiety, and you're just working on their self-esteem, they come and saying, well, I'm going to someone. Many times right. I need to drop a client and say, till you're not on medication, I am not being prone and I am not continuing to this unhealthy behavior and I will not let you use a crutch. I am going to Mordechai Weinberger. You are not going to Mordechai Weinberger. None of the tools that he can help you with is working. Either you change therapist or you're going on medication, but I will not remain a part of it. And I see that countless times, unfortunately, people that are not licensed do not understand that. But I'm the only one keeping them going. That is part of your weakness. That is part of the steps when you have two supervisors that teach you how to let go. Right. So again, I have a difficulty. Oh, let me rephrase it differently. I have a huge appreciation for people that do alternative therapy. And I'm a huge believer in alternative therapies. My issue is that I feel that they need some information Besides of attacking, which usually they do, they end up attacking the professional world. There is a lot of chachma to the professional world. Yeah, now, sure. I understand That's, the room totally for alternative. I'm a big believer in alternative therapy. And I find that wherever I go, when I go to an alternative therapy class, they tell me, oh, you're licensed. You've converted to the other side. 
And when I go to the licensed schooling and professional, go, oh, you believe in that heebie-jeebies? Next, you're going to tell me there are aliens coming to the world? You know, <laughs> and I see the positive to both sides. So what I'm sharing with you is, since you're not able to go to college, help. Take the courses. Just be aware and try not to make some of the mistakes that they do. Be aware of something's out of your level. You've got a question. Have someone that you can speak to. Have a professional. Many social workers will be available to help you and guide you because you can even work together. It means if they need professional help, you can refer to them. And if they don't feel threatened, you two can work together. I have three, four alternative therapists that I work very well with them. I make very clear, I'm doing this in this role. You take that stuff. So if you can hook up with a licensed professional, I feel so much calmer than for you to be an expert in an area. This way you have someone that can give you, quote, unquote, that supervision. And if you need more help, they'll tell you, I think this needs now my work. Right. And is there such a thing as supervision how I can not to get too emotionally attached to, like, a client? Well, that's part of it. We go through two years training for that. In fact, when you go in, in the college, in the system, when you must do the internship, you're having at least two facilities. means... Each year, you're going to be in one place. Sometimes people even go to twice, and they teach you how to attach to a client. They also teach you how to keep the professional distance because you know you will terminate. And already six weeks before you're going to end, they start the termination process. You realize in six weeks, I'm going to be leaving. My internship is over. How do you feel about it? I feel sad. What you could say, what you can say, what you can be open. This is all part of the professional process, which you're missing out. And, right, that's, again... I'm not saying college is a know-it-all. There's so much that they're missing. But at the same time, I also see what they do teach. I can see the, the two sides of the coin. So if you're not able to go to college and someone that sounds as great as you are, go into the helping field. Cholesterol needs you. What happened before there were licenses? Of course there were great people doing that and continue doing. But all mm-hmm. I'm requesting is hook up. Find someone that can be a professional that can help you, someone that can guide you and with that go ahead and i'm a, again i'm a huge believer in, in all in the alternative therapy i see major results to that but you also need the balance of the professional as well in my humble opinion at least okay thank you so much you're very welcome and welcome to the field you're already in the field when someone wants to do that you're already a person that speaks to friends you're people that you're a person that people feel they can open up to you're a person that people can trust so you're in the field you're just now going to the next level field where you want to get some training in it Right. So go ahead and keep on growing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Have a We are going to go to Yehuda on line two. Yehuda, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Amazing. Baruch Hashem. Okay, so I, had, um, I think last week, I believe you touched upon the Indian of the way you phrased it was uh, giving into terrorism. Yes. Right. I wonder if you could elaborate and give me the rundown on the basic psychology of a terrorist. Okay. Let's not, actually I do that both ways, let's not use, let's go to the classical term terrorist, and we can understand okay. the terrorists and the ones giving in. So I like using, mm-hmm. for a classical example, I hope for those that won't take it personal, for those that are, let's say, more along the Satmar line about Israel and about the Palestinians, but for most of us listening, I just like to use the concept along those lines. Mm-hmm. A terrorist is someone that is not standing for principles on what they are going to do. They're focusing on, I want yours. Whatever you give them is never enough. Now, I just want to clarify, I have an entire hour program where I'm going into both the mentalities. I'm just going to give you the short version. Hopefully, in the next two weeks, we'll have the on my website. You'll be able to download those programs. Also, be on jradio.com. You can download and also a list, a listing of all the shirim that I have. But just the basics. Number one is they don't stand for anything. Number two, Mm -hmm. 
They are always wanting more. The more you give them is never enough. Number three, they are going to try any type of manipulation to get what they want. Means they will love you, they will hate you, they will cry, they will badmouth you, they will bless you to get what they want. Next step is after you've given them everything that they wanted, more, sorry, and then let's go to the next step. When you start giving them, you will never get a thank you. You will get, I want more, and why it wasn't good enough, and why it's your fault that I'm not happy, so now they want more. And as you're giving them more, what is happening now is you're already exhausted, you're upset, you're not even getting a thank you. And what usually happens is once you've given in and you're in that giving process, there will always be outside sources telling you, but you didn't do it right. They usually will not want to blame the angry person because they don't either want to get the pain from them. So it's going to be your fault by giving everything why that's not good. So far, does it sound like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Mm, yeah, it does. They don't stand for anything. They're not going anything. They've been given property. They've been given everything. Open up one decent university. Start doing something. You know, start creating your own energy. No. Still wanting more. Now let's take a little bit more controversial. Does that sound like children sometimes? Oh, yeah. You let them stay up. They're still not happy. Mm -hmm. They get more kvetchy. I'm still not happy because now you didn't give me supper. You gave me a toy. You should have gotten me a bigger toy. And then what happens? Usually now, since we're so drained, now we start getting angry. Now we start yelling. Now the outside sources are telling you, look at you. You're yelling. You're screaming. That's mm -hmm. why the kid's not happy. If you would right. calm down, it'll be God, better. I, think, I, I imagine that terrorists are simply big, like, big kids. That's I mean, exactly it. Now, the concept okay. I give in that program is everyone at all ages, the opposite side of what you do is to understand what terrorist position. Why are people wanting mm -hmm. more? Why are people so needy? Yeah. And the answer is because they're not happy within themselves. Mm -hmm. Especially for children, we need to teach the concept of enough. As we always have, the Rashi brings down that the Rabbi Nishleilam, like sort of yelled at Moshe Rabbeinu saying that to the others he wasn't with the name of, of Shaka, you know, Hashem, the Rabbi Shalom didn't show himself means that Moshe Rabbeinu got a much bigger gilui. Shakai, that name is about Misha Omai die. There's enough. The Rabbi Shalom was sort of creating and now he's saying stop. This is how much we're going to do in creation. Parents must know how to say stop enough and be happy with that. When parents can mirror that, once the person giving can say, this is what I'm giving, anything more isn't, that actually heals the terrorist. The terrorist needs to be given a mirroring saying, this is healthy giving and this is healthy stop. If you have an issue, now you need to focus on how to be happy. We've given you enough. Now start being happy. And many times kids will throw that tantrum in their crib. But after they've cried that hour, that half hour, usually the first two nights, they might even cry an hour, an hour and a half. But by the third night, they're crying 10 minutes and then they're asleep. They wake up happy. They got their full night's sleep. And instead of getting stuck into that pain, if we can see we're teaching them healthiness, we're teaching them boundaries. We're teaching them that morning and night, every second, the Rabbi Shalom is saying yes and no to something else based on our perception. The Rabbi Shalom is always saying yes to everything. But the way we are, that's when it starts changing, and that's when we start teaching children healthy boundaries. So telling a kid and teaching a kid how to receive a no is so important. And that's what creates us. So when you've got those 40-year-olds that feel so bad saying no, that can say no, they need to help the whole world, those that are still throwing tantrums. I've heard once working with adult 50-year-olds saying, oh, my parents 70, if I'm going to tell him no, he can't come to me this Shabbos for whatever reason, is he going to yell and throw a fit and yell at all the kids? Rabbi Nishlam, I tell the person, like, here's where we get the Rav involved again, how old does that parent sound to you now? 
And they go, oh, my father was always this way from day one. It means from day one, no one has ever given him that feeling that we need to give that seven-year-old enough. Stop. It's not acceptable. You need to act your age. Many times I close my eyes to really listen to the age of a client, and then we start saying, okay, you're acting like a seven-year-old. Let's start mm -hmm. teaching you the Yisoydas that we need to teach. So these are the main programs, and in that program of stop, how to stop negotiating with terrorists, I teach how to create a healthy boundary, how to create the yeah. self-love, how you can be happy, how you can feel calm while you're setting up the boundary. That is the main point of that program. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. you almost touched up my situation. Yes, and that's also right. when I did the parenting classes when I was making those uh -huh. shiurim, so I decided that's when I did it in four weeks, and there was huge changes of being comfortable being a parent, and me... Since I belong to the family of therapists, I think we take some of the responsibility why parents are so afraid because they used to be so abusive and there was no understanding to children that we've then created so much understanding that we have taken away the power of parents to feel confident to say no and to say no with a no, to say no with a confidence. And that's just as important for us to do. And how can you know, if you're dealing with a grown-up, how can you know if he's really a terrorist or if he really has a... Um, uh, in real time, because well, we'll always, always tell you that you have the parents first go ahead, learn how to say no healthy. Once you created yeah. that, yeah. now you're going to see if your kid balances itself out. Like 85% of the issues that I see with children, mm -hmm. most of the time they disappear. Right. Cameras closed. But we do with a guy who's already grown up. That's with children. A guy who's already grown up is a little harder, I imagine, right? Because he. Uh, sorry, say that again. I'm saying we're dealing with a grown-up, right? So it's, it's probably a little more complicated than a kid because the guy's already, you know, set in his ways. He's already molded. Just the opposite. He, Absolutely. I, really? I do not believe in that okay. at all. Oh, okay, good. Any age, good even if your kids are married, even if your kids are 50 years old, at any age, you have the power. If you do healthy and positive parenting, means creating space within yourself, mm -hmm. that's the first time it gets mirrored and it changes. I have a client that gives me permission to say this. I worked on this client about six to eight years ago with a huge amount of, unfortunately, negativity and pain that this guy was going through. And as he changed and he was alienated from his children, in the last two months of him being five years creating the healthy boundaries in his life, I have helped him reconnect to one, to practically two of the children. There's a third one on the way. It took five years, but these are after the kids are out of the house basically, and this person has reconnected. It might not happen in a day or two. It might be many years of negativity and pain going on. But if you stay the healthy path, you will reconnect and you will teach them and they will come along. And that's one of the beautiful successes that I look at. And I complimented that client. Like we worked about five, six years ago. It took us several months of work. But the person has continued it on his own. Shiurim, mm -hmm. going to people. But if you stay the process, years later, with Siata Deshmai, it almost always works out. Right, I'm not talking about my children, but you're saying it applies to every terrorist. This, uh, every home, right? single right. situation okay, at great. all times. Mm -hmm. It's something that the Rabbi Yishlam has put into the Bria, into the world. When you're positive, when you're staying along the right way, the Rabbi Yishlam helps that it goes that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, Gavaldi, yep. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Yehuda. I appreciate you calling in. We are going to go to Shandy on line six. For those of you listening in and tuning in now, you're on the air listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. Shandy, we got a little kid in the background over there. Hello. Yes. Hi. First of all, I wanted to thank you for everything. Great. Um, my question is that uh, most of the time when I go to my mother-in-law, she she has different a different a different guest also that that sleeps by her, 
and somehow she really gets me triggered. She triggers my past a lot, and um, I I have to go. I have to go to my mother-in-law. I mean, uh, there's no two ways around it. But I was wondering if you have any tools for me, like how not to get triggered when when that person is there. So again, as I've mentioned earlier, I'm a big believer in client-centered theory, which means any issue we have out there is ours. And as we change ourselves, somehow situations around us change all the time. So let me ask you, what does that person do that they trigger you? Um, it's actually like whatever two people, and there's a lot of control and um, stuff going on. So now let's, let's let me shift this to you. And what has some control going on in your past that you are so triggered by that? I'm actually going for therapy, so it's... For some, control issues, correct? For people that were controlling you? Yeah. Excellent. So let's stop right there. So let's understand first what is going on. When we have an issue within ourselves of people controlling us, we feel weak in that area. We are going to see it all over. And the and this is a, a, a scale, how you can recognize how, mu how healed you are from the pain. When you can be around people that can do that, short term, I'm not talking about long term, because if you're around a negative person for 10 hours, it will affect you. But if you can be an hour or two around a negative person and not get affected, or the quicker or the deeper you get affected, it's telling you how much more healing you need. So sometimes a client comes in, how many, more, how many sessions will I need? The answer is it's up to you. I don't know how many pains you went through. I don't know how many generations this pain is going on. Uh -huh. So let's take it to you now. Since you have an issue where you were controlled, you're going to see control all over. And now these unhealthy controlling people are now in your zone. How quick do you get affected? Okay, I, I can handle it like for an hour or two, but these people, I have to be around them for much longer. So it's, now you start self-care, and here's where you'll start doing that in therapy. What can you do to protect yourself? You can even discuss it with your in-laws, saying, I appreciate coming to you, but I have, since I am going through, I have a difficult time with controlling people. I get nervous or tense. I understand you want to do chesed. And then you start discussing with them. Can we I do discuss it? it with them, but my mother won't say, there's no two ways about it. She has to take them in. Do you notice control still going on? Do you notice control on your mother-in-law's part? They must come, and you've used the word, and I didn't want to catch you on it then, but you're using the words, you used it, that there are no toys, but I must go to my mother-in-law. So anyone will feel trapped, then gets into that level. You must go to your mother-in-law, and she must have them, so that leaves you with no choice. When you feel no choice, that's called control. So you're still being controlled. Not being controlled is when you have the choice to say yes or no. I need us all to realize the Rabbi Nishalaylam is the ultimate controller because he controls the entire world and the Rabbi Nishalaylam gives us Bechira. The Rabbi Nishalaylam actually gives us the opportunity, unfortunately, to go off the derech and to do Averis. The word, there are no choice about it, is not healthy. So, so I do have a choice like... Of course you do, and that's going to be part of your therapy where you're going to need to, you'll just need to identify it. You'll need to identify how you can go for an hour, how you can go for two, what choices you have. You can go to a room. You can get books. You have so many choices. You can go to the bathroom. You can choose to leave your kids then by your mother-in-law if you don't carry in a Shabbos. You can't do that, and you can't leave until, okay, well, I'm only coming for an hour. If you choose us to come that I, way, there are no two ways. And I, the I no choice there, is that so you've got to take care of my kids and not a whole Shabbos afternoon. And they also afternoon. move in. What? We both move in there. I, I, I'm exactly. What I'd like you to understand is that there are so many choices out there. You can have a friend where you're going to take off to after an hour. As long as you're stuck, come from a family of no choice, 
married into a family of no choice. The words are used no two ways about it. That means you were never taught there are always choices. I am telling you there are so many choices that you have, and that's what I do with clients. We need to identify how many choices you do have. The minute you feel you have uh, a choice, it's, it's not it's not a choice either to lock myself into a room or to whatever do others. Why is it not a choice? What should I do? Like for a few days, be in a room with books of with my kids? Sure, it's the most most fantastic feeling. You take a walk. It gets too hot. You leave the table in the middle. Yontiv men. The only thing that I that I appreciate from those men that smoke. And let me clarify, I don't smoke, and I think it's poison, I think it's a terrible thing, but one benefit I found about smoking is that during sometimes those long sudaram, or during yanta, when you have those long sudas, the men go out, and they have an excuse to take a break. And when I speak to the men that quit smoking, one of the things they say is, you know, i got to sit at that table now for four hours? <laughs> like, they have an excuse. You will, mm-hmm. Being that you're stuck in the no-choice view, you don't see options. So another, one of the ways I tell people to identify if they're stuck in no-choice in a controlling situation is very simple. If all you have is two options, you know you're being controlled or you're controlling others. It means if the two options are I must stay there or not go at all, the two extremes, then you're being controlled. When you're healthy, you can come up with four other options besides for those two extremes. I can take a break. <laughs> I can choose not to go to family for long times. We can work out that I can have a friend where I'll go to. Um, I can have certain books and not be around. Yeah, but as long as you're stuck in the codependence, people-pleasing mode, you have to talk the whole time. You have to smile to that person. What happens if you could tell that person, I disagree with you? Imagine how you would feel if that person is controlling you can say no. Loy mit an Aleph. How I, can't, I, I could do it. I feel comfortable doing it. but I don't think so. I, I, like you. I, I think you're trying to tell yourself that. But the level of no choice, the way you sounded, you must do this, you must do that, I think you have a very difficult time saying no. I actually worked on it. so. If you worked on it, but listen to how many areas you're still being controlled. When you say worked on from 1 to 10, how comfortable are you telling your mother-in-law I'm not coming? Very simple. I there are no two ways about it. I feel telling her I'm not coming if she... She um, will get hurt. She will get upset. Now, who owns that issue? I don't want to go into the entire program of codependence. You're hitting it. As I said all the time, we started the program with it. There are two major diagnoses in our from world, and both aren't diagnosable. One is perfectionist, and the one right under that is codependence. You can't live your life. I tell that all the time. And Rabbanim say it all the time, when you get married, you become king and queen of your house. You're not anymore a prince and princess in your parents. Now, there's an Indian of Kibbutz of Aim. It changes and it's a lot more meshed once they're paying your bills and once so many things are going on. But still, who needs to make the decisions, who needs to be responsible is you and your husband. Your needs come first. And if your Shalom bias gets affected, you speak to any Rav, they might help you out how to create balance. And I use this one example over and over. There was one very chash of a Rav that when the, when the son was saying, every time I speak to my mother, she's so full of anxiety, so nervous, so tense, and I cannot speak to her. And the Rav said, no. Again, these things need to be passed case to case. said, you need to call your mother once a week, but call it three minutes before this man. And sure enough, he calls the first week. And she goes, oh, you're calling now because you don't want to talk to me so long that I'll have to hang up? And he says, mommy, I'm on the phone. And then they had to hang up. And that's when he calls her. Uh 
Are you so strong enough to do that? Now, I'm not giving my, you a head I need to say this clearly. Um, I don't want to get another call from a Rav that I respect huge and not, uh, uh, on, a, on a tremendous level saying, I give Heterim. I am saying clearly speak to a Rav about it. But what I'm explaining to you is there are no two ways about it. If you said no two ways about it, that guest must come and no two ways about it, you must go. Who's the, who's, He's not are forcing you married? me to go, but I have to my husband. I mean, I can't, I can't tell my now, husband. Now, hey, hold when on. I Here again husband. comes in codependence. You're already assuming what your husband will say. Maybe your husband would say, I'd much rather stay home and have a wife that won't be angry at me for the next week. Because I have no doubt in my mind you're resentful when you go there. You feel trapped. You get nervous. You're nervous a week before Yantav. And he might just say, you know something? Stop it. I can work out with my mother, but your attention, I can't. And none of this is being discussed and worked out. Codependence means we are afraid to say no. We're afraid to, and I say the word we because I find myself a lot in that area. We are more concerned about the other ones than us. We're afraid of hurting the other person. Therefore, we don't verbalize. We don't say exactly what we want. Your husband might have no idea why you're so nervous. He might think it's because you spoke to your mother and you're nervous because you must go and deal with that person. The guy says, please tell me. Of course I'll let go. I don't care. But if you keep it in, so wherever you're going to, I'd recommend you do double the time. If you're going to that therapist once a week or once a month, go every week. If you're going uh, once a week, my suggestion, do it twice a week for about three months. Because in my opinion, you're heavily in codependence and you're not even noticing how many choices you have in life. And you're stuck in the other ones. What You're living a life what everyone wants. You do not know yet who you are. Every time you say, I want, you have five reasons why you don't. Your subconscious race stops thinking about what I want. Your life is what the world wants of me. That does not change in one week or two weeks of therapy, especially if you have it growing up all your life. And to me, you sound like you're the people's pleaser all your life the way you're describing it. So I would say it's about a year or two of therapy once a week, just going through the process, learning it. Part of that mess, part of that therapy will be coming down with your husband eventually, learning how to communicate and hearing, you really won't be upset if I tell you I don't want to go to your mother when the person's there. And he goes, no. I also had issues with my mother when I was a bacher, and I could tell my mother no. Mm-hmm. Remember, you're the daughter-in-law. It's harder for a daughter-in-law to tell a mother-in-law no. But children? Boy, do children have fights. No, I hear little kids in the background. How many times did your kids throw themselves down? No, I don't want to eat this. I don't want that. Children yeah, with their parents I, are easier to... I don't to feel s- guilty when I, when I just well, tell them no. Let's stop here. We've got so many people on the line. I have, this is, I feel we've given it more than enough time to recognize. Your list of guiltiness, I'm telling you, is two years of therapy. Uh-huh. I hear it all. I know it all. This is what I do for a living, and this is something that I struggle with myself. So okay, I appreciate your time and your advice. My pleasure. And with we'll Siata the Shmai again, I hope whoever you're going to also works with the Rav, because it's very delicate. You can be attacked while you're creating boundaries. And if you know you're working with the Rav, it's extremely important when you create the healthy boundaries, what is Torah and what is not, what is Mitzvah's Kibbutz Aim, and what is manipulating the Mitzvah of Kibbutz Aim also needs to be acknowledged through a Rav. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Shandy, for calling and for being brave. We are going to Tuvia on line three. Tuvia, you're on the air with Mordechai, and just hold a minute so we can do a little announcement. For those of you listening in, tuning in now, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, a licensed clinical because. social worker. We're here to take your questions or comments. For those of you, you can listen to... You can watch us live on jradio.com on the Lakewood Scoop, on Yeshiva World. 
Um, they're all hosting it. You can also hear us on FNW. We now have it on the phone line, FNW, and of course on JRootRadio.com's line of here. Always like to thank Nissen for president for having this, going through everything, hosting us, and as well for Aaron, our fantastic and amazing technician, who is making sure everything, the phones are being answered, videos, everything is going on. So thank you. Tuvia on line three, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Hello? Yes. Hello? Yes, my husband gave me the phone because he's driving. Okay. Um, I want to ask two questions. One question, how could I deal with emotions that shouldn't take me over? Okay. And the second question is, why do I always feel unwanted? Oops, hello? Yes. Oh, we lost you. Why do you always feel? Unwanted. Unwanted. Now, is this your question or is this your husband's question? The question from unwanted is my question. And actually, it's both. Yes. The, the other question is also, is mine and my husband's the emotional question? So now, let me try a little guesswork. Can I try a little guesswork? And just tell me if I'm 80% correct. Okay. You and your husband are amazing, wonderful people where you care about the whole world. You put others' needs ahead of yourself. There are huge, when you feel someone is in pain, you kick into Hatzalah mode that you'll do anything to save them no matter how late no matter how hard, no matter the financial difficulties that it will put on you to help them. So right. far, how am I doing? Yes, fine, excellent. You find yourself giving, you and your husband, you're giving so much that all of a sudden you're getting overwhelmed by little things. Like yes. little things that happen, a kid cries, you didn't have money for like whatever it is, and you're just yelling. Exactly. Correct so far, let's take it further. Then when you need to ask usually someone for a favor, you'll never ask for a favor. I do, but very little. That's right. I would say 85% you don't ask for favors, only when you must. Yes. Okay, so so far we're on track. Now let's take it another step further. You have fantastic, great ideas what you could do, and you're always living not with regret, I would say with frustration that you've probably only done 20% of what you always wanted to do. Right. How accurate am I so far? 100%. Okay, so that's pretty good for me. Now, do I know you? No. Do I recognize your voice? No. So, what would you do? What would be the assumption? How do you think I can do all that with just hearing your question? I'm not a novi, I promise you. I don't know. That's why I called you, because I see you're answering everybody's questions so well. So. Okay, that's boosting my ego. So let me share with you what I hear. And then you will see how once you can get to the aside, you could now generally fill out all the blanks. Okay. So as we've mentioned, here's another caller of codependence. Codependence means we are smart. And I use the word we because I've said so far all evening, all day, I should say now on this program is I have a lot to work on that. And that's what I'm working with. Smart, intelligent, caring, emotional. But if we do not create the healthy balance to say no, we will get overwhelmed. We are going to give more than we can, and that is not healthy. So if we give more than that, uh, that, are, that is in our batteries, not only is it not healthy, kalape, us emotionally, not is it healthy for us physically, but it's also not healthy for us spiritually and on a rachnius level. And that's why there are so many halachas about how much you're allowed to give to tzedakah. And when you want to do lifnei mishra, it's what you're allowed to do. But if you do more than that, it's already considered an avera. 
And there are questions if, the, if it was even at all considered a mitzvah, if you're able to give more than is needed. There are a whole bunch of questions along those lines. So what that means is we need to learn about the level of balance. If you are an emotional caring person, giving is what excites us because that is what I am. I get energized doing this program. My Hashem really get excited. But if I give too much, or if like people ask, what's my email? What's my phone number? When I used to do that, then I didn't have a life or family life, and that was affected, or me, my own personal private time was affected, I started resenting it. Balance is the word that we've got to learn. So now let's go ahead and take your two questions. How do you prevent yourself from being so emotional? The word is to learn the beauty of the word no. Saying a healthy no, this is how much energy I can give, and you prepare ahead of time. More than that isn't good. I've got mothers that say, oh, our program is our kids' doors are always open. Well, that's not correct, because when your kids were in the house, the doors weren't always open. When it's bedtime, it's time to say no. When they're married, it's also time to say no. You as a mother, can you handle all your married kids coming in? If you can't and you say yes, you're going to be nervous and angry and no one is going to appreciate that. Just in the street and to your friends, you can say, I had all my kids by me and you didn't. Nah, 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 nah. Now, of course, we do it a lot more mature, but it's the same thing. I never tell my kids no, no. And how many times do you yell at them and scream at them? They wish they don't come. How many son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws wish we don't have to go to our parents for yant because of the stress that goes on? But no, we have to have everyone there. So number one for emotions, how do you deal with emotions? I, the way you sound to me, you're a very healthy, and your husband from the way you shifted the phones are very healthy people. The issue that you've got to learn is the balance. How to say no. When you say no, you're going to find how calm you are. You're going to find how much love and caring you can give. Make sense? Yes. And now let's go. What was your second question again? I feel unwanted. Yes. Now... Let's take that internally. When someone feels unwanted out there, generally that's what we're feeling inside. So let me ask you, when was the last time you spent time with yourself? Means there is no, there is no cell phone to text, no phone around you just taking a walk around the block, not going to a grocery or shopping or clothing. Go to a park. If you live in Brooklyn, there's Prospect Park. You want to do it in the wintertime, it's not a problem. It's Sneas or Priestess, no problem. When was the last time you've gone anywhere upstate to walk to a place where it's quiet? They have these huge parks, miles. You're living in Lakewood 20 minutes away, 10 minutes away. There are parks where you can go. When was the last time you actually did a little self-care? Don't you remember? That's right. Would we say years now? What? Would you say years? Probably, yes. Okay. What would happen if in today or tomorrow... You will leave a cell phone somewhere, just walk around with nothing to do, just walk for one hour. You are going to feel the first 10 minutes afraid, scared. But when I do that, when I need that time, I go, I go in bed. When was the last time you did that? I do it every day. Every day, what do you do when you say you do that every day? I just lay down. Laying down is not counted. Laying down is, I'm so I overwhelmed, I can't do anything, my brain can't focus. Right. This is, this, is, this is before you're dropping out. This is not when your body, when your power from 0 to 10 is at a negative 5 or negative 10, that you just brought it to a negative 2. You haven't replenished your batteries. Replenishing your batteries means taking care of yourself. Exercise, no cell phone, it's amazing. Just driving over here to the, to the station, 
I saw the funniest sight, and I pointed out to the person that was with me in the car. I go, look at this. There's a there's a guy on a bike making assumptions. He's a guy, and with his dog running like with the dog. See, he's on the bike. The dog comes to a red light, pulls out the cell phone, and is texting. Means the second he isn't driving, the mind is ready. Who texted me? So I drove by and I just pointed out, look how we cannot be alone a minute. Right. So when I'm telling you taking care of yourself, that means for one hour, no cell on you. Just walk. Just walk. You're going to find the first five to ten minutes, I'm so alone, I have nothing to do. Your mind's going to be thinking about a thousand things. You know what, I'm walking by the street, let me just jump, let me just walk into a shop. Don't. This one hour, you can do nothing, just walk. You're going to find after 20 minutes or a half hour, wow, I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling great. You can stand in that sun and just feel it go on you. We are solar powered. And after 45 minutes, you'll feel great. And after an hour, you'll come home. You'll say, I'm going to do this every day. And chances are the next time you're going to do it will be 10 years from now again. How many times do we go to exercise? We're on a diet and we say we feel so great. And then the next day you're cheating and you're off. And that is what this generation, we have forgotten. We have forgotten to take care of ourselves. I am a boss of Adam. I am a person. And if we do not want to, if we want to stop the heart attacks that are happening by the age of 60, we got to start taking care of our physical body, of our emotional body, and of our Rachni's body. And I don't find ourselves doing that. I only see it getting worse and worse, unfortunately. But how is this going to make me feel that I, I am will, I will do it. I always, I give people many times, uh, you know, exercise to please call me back with feedback. I will do, I will have you share with all the listeners. Try it today or tomorrow. One hour walk, not able to go into any store. Try to go where no one knows. You see, you're not going to, so people are not going to stop you on the street for one hour. Just once. Do me that favor and call back next week. All right, next week is Shavuot, so we won't be doing one probably next week. So let's say the week yeah. after, just share the feedback. I think you will be shocked. And you'll also be pretty surprised that you will not do it again after that one time, even though you know how important it is. Try mm -hmm. it, and I would let you call us up. It's hard for me to explain to you how to drive a bike until you don't get on the bike, and then you learn how to balance it. Try it. Just one hour. Okay, and you will I see, Merit Hashem, what changes will happen in your life. Okay, I wish. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, and I appreciate you calling in. I really enjoy your hotline. Thank you so much. My pleasure, and hatzlacha. The number to call in, actually all the phone lines are busy, so we're not going to announce the number right now. And we are going to go now to line one to Chaim. Chaim, thank you for holding. For those of you tuning in now, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW at thejradio.com. That means Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW, certain letters, certain people feel great when they hear letters. Now they have permission to say certain things. So it means licensed clinical social worker for those of you that it means so much to. And for those of you that doesn't, it's just simply Mordechai. And looking forward to try to help out some questions, theories, and with Siata Deshmai, we'll be able to help you. Chaim, on line one, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai. Hi, you're on. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for your phone line. We really appreciate it. We enjoy it every week. I would like to ask a question. If someone has an issue with a shalom bias, so how can you know if it's an issue with a shalom bias or it's a a problem uh, like uh, anxiety or some, something else. Um, so let me explain to you my view of shalom bias, what I call shalom bias, and how to identify if it's an inner issue. And I use this muscle at all times, so I feel pleasure and I feel an honor to share it with all the listeners. 
I call Sholem bias as in a car called a wheel alignment. That means if the steering wheel turns right, that the two tires should turn right. When the steering wheel turns left, the two front tires should turn left. To me, the couple, the mother and the father, are the two front tires. An example that I always give is Erev Shabbos. A husband comes from a house where the mother needs all the help. So his father, and he grew up in a house where all the boys are helping, the father's home early to help the mother Friday. The wife grew up in a house where Erev Shabbos, the mother is a capable woman, doesn't want the husband involved. And I don't even want to call it capable and as a positive. Sometimes it's too controlling and she doesn't want the husband there. But whatever the issue is, the wife grew up in a house where the husbands do not help out. This couple gets married and the husband can't wait Erev Shabbos to come and share with their wife to help out. Now there's a fight. She's saying, what are you doing home? Don't help me. Don't bake. Don't try to prepare the eggs. Don't set the table. I will take care of everything. This is what I call a Shalom bias issue, where we need to do wheel alignment. And when it comes Erev Shabbos, we clarify what's the husband's role, what's the husband, what's the wife's role. We identify how each comes from a different system or why there's a different view. And if both spouses are healthy, with one session in a therapist, you're going to be able to work it out what we are going to do. So far, unfortunately, and I'm going to give a very cynical statement right now, almost all Shalom Bayes couples that came to me, this was never the case. I could not say Shalom Bayes where a husband and wife was able to understand what should get done and work it out. Almost at all times, one, or as I will say in most of the time, it was both of the couples had personal issues. So if someone is, let's call it the dependent one or the controller one, so, quote-unquote, the therapist like saying, you're not healthy. But as we've heard so many people today, I find the other one is codependent. They can't let go. They must have everything their way. They must help out. And if you tell the husband, don't help out, and we agree, the husband not to help out, many times that not healthy husband comes and says, oh, but you didn't do it the way we agreed. Instead of saying, wow, it's so much more, it's 60, 70% better just from one session by a therapist, but there it would start with a negativity. You didn't do it well enough. You didn't listen well enough. That's where codependence comes in, and that's where I find where both couples need the therapy. So now I'll tell you a system that I try doing, and I'll share with all of you how depressing it is. I've instituted that when I worked with couples, I do a couple session, which is the wheel alignment for three sessions. Almost always, you need both clients to do the inner work and almost never the minute when we have to transition to the inner work the one or both will start saying no I don't need the work it's the other one that needs the work okay I'll do it for the other one and usually therapy doesn't work then and that's one of the reasons why I find there are so many divorces going on because we're not having two people coming in saying I also have a problem so from my <coughs> negative view Major Shalom bias issues when they're married for about 10 years and still fighting on the same issues from day one, they both have an issue. One will be more apparent, but the other one might be more subtle. I've got people telling me I'm going into business already for 10 years and I'm not able to get a raise, but I'm doing everything right. It's much harder to work with them because they're not looking at what they are doing wrong. So if someone comes in saying, okay, I need to change because I haven't gotten a raise in 10 years, now we can help the person. When a person comes and saying, the world is so bad, I'm such a great and loyal employee, and, all I've, and I have never gotten a raise yet, now we know that's your weakness. But if you're not coming with a problem, we can't help. And when people come with Shalom Bayes, it's always, I'm using always, I refer to 85% the other one's problem. No one's coming and saying, I am the one with the problem. Yeah, let's say that, that the, the husband is not codependent. It means that he wouldn't give in. 
and that's and not codependent. Also, that's controlling. Not giving in yes, is the controller. Not, codependent is the one that always gives in. That's trying to make it work all the time, and they need to realize that that's their weakness. Stop. And you need therapy yes, how that, to do it on a healthy level. Sorry, the one not I mean, giving in I mean, is the control. I mean, that's what I mean to say that they don't. They don't be. The, they're not a codependent one. Yes, the so controller. They, they, so if there's one a, a controller and the other one is codependent, the one that always gives it, in, yeah? the one that's weak, afraid to say no. Yeah, but the other. Yes, uh, let's say that the husband is saying no. Yes, and then the wife is is placing a tantrum like like she's the whole world she is throwing, throwing apart because she wants to get to where sure, she wants. Sure, that's classical to. controlling situations. They throw fits as we had the caller before about terrorists. Terrorists yes. will do anything they can to get their way. Now, we're not referring to your wife or whichever wife you're talking about as a control as a terrorist, but we need to identify tools that they use. That's what you will do in your individual therapy. You're going to learn yes. how to be comfortable with people throwing tantrums. That's okay. That's codependence. Codependence, I feel so bad. You're not managing. What will happen to my kids? You need to then, part of the underlying issue in the codependence is control. I need everything to work. Yeah, but, but let's see, is this, is this an issue of anxiety? No, this is an issue of codependence. Stop trying to no. figure out the spouse. Don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. You're all already down the wrong path. You're focusing on the wife. My friend, you need a year, yes. or whoever the person is, a year of therapy. Focus on yourself. What am I going to do if my wife throws a tantrum? Do I want to give in? Do I want to change? Do I want to walk out? It's all about me. What are my choices? But let's say he's not giving in. And then? That's exactly what therapy is. Then what am I going to do if I don't give in? Now my wife might do four out of options. What will I, how will I respond? It's how do I want to respond to her terrorist um, behaviors? Mm. It's not about her. We can never get another person into therapy. But when we change our codependence, it's amazing how these people go for therapy, how these people change. There's a dance that happens because we are stuck in the negativity as well. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. So my advice to anyone that's codependent and the wives don't want to go for therapy or the husbands don't want to go for therapy, stop focusing on them. Wake up. You are an equal problem to this. On the outside, it doesn't look that way. But from the inside, as a therapist, I'm telling you, you are just as hard to heal as a controller. Codependence is just as hard. Letting go of control is just as hard as a, having a, learning, teaching a controller to let go of that. Your need to please, your need for everything to work out, your fear of shouting, nerves, anger is just as hard to heal as a person that's controlling when things won't go their way. Go for therapy yourself. Again, that's what I'm saying. The second most diagnosed issue that I would say in the from world after perfectionist is codependence. We are going to go to line, who do we have next? Line five, Malki. You are on the air with Mordechai. <coughs> Hi, is it Mordechai? Yes, you're on. Oh, I am? You're on. Hi, um, I listened recently to your phone line. I'm going from U.S. You're calling I'm from? I'm in mean, UK. UK. UK, that is so nice yeah. to hear. Thank you. So far, we've had the last couple of weeks from England listening in. I always appreciate it. It's just right, a thrill um, where people are calling in from all over. Actually, I should also mention that if people are calling in from out of the tri-state area, means Brooklyn, it would be nice, Brooklyn or Lakewood, it would be nice to know that you're listening. We've had someone call in or send texts from other areas. But anyhow, Malki, thank you for listening all the way from England. 
Anyway, I was listening to your phone line. I was listening to the program of self-esteem, the first one. Yes, and that's a fantastic recent, program. Yeah, and to the recent speech that you gave in Montreal, right? Yes. And it was really perfect. I must say, you get 10 out of 10 for that. Oh, thank um, you. I just want to can you share with us as well? Let's just tell those of you listening, I have a phone line. The number is 718-298-2011. 718-298-2011. And then we've got several programs. I have like 60-something shiram over there in English, which is a phone. And then we've also got daily questions and answers, daily motivational quotes. And um, part of them are programs where we've got issues that are going on. They're hour-long shiram, which means they've got practical tools with also Makairis to everything so to have that Yiddish flavor that Jewish flavor that I feel I am or I can only do a program based on me so that's who I am and that's how I do it so I would like if you can share um, with people let's say what did you like from the Montreal program I love the concept of self-esteem how you can build it internally like through through feeling your own worth and through compliments from outside yes that's right where we explained yeah. over there a little bit the concept about bullying of, right yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. So, I appreciate it. Anyway, I listen very intently. I just want to ask you a question, uh, because sure. after I listened to self-esteem thing, I was thinking to myself that, that I have lots of talents and everything, and I do recognize it, and I get compliments on it, and I don't I didn't say, oh, big deal. I recognize it. I just wondered, why don't I, let's say, necessarily feel happy with myself or fulfilled if, if I do have all these talents, and I am recognized for it, so... It's not, it's, I don't know if it's the inside that needs working on or... So I will give you I'm two ideas. There's another, let's, your question is, if you do have a self-esteem, you do know your value, you appreciate when people complimenting you, why do you not feel happy? Yes. Correct, that's your question? Yes. So I would like to give two thoughts. I'm going to focus on the first one very short, and that is there might be stressors or anxieties going on in your life. And that's part of the Nasayan of life that we need to learn how to balance. means when there are stresses going on, how we can still find a happiness during the stress. So if you're going through a difficult time, it makes sense to be down. And that's where Svarim and Munah and speaking to someone and learning how to go through the process of life and stay happy. That's the short answer. No, but this is a long-term thing. It's like for all my years. Oh, I'm welcome. Mer Tashem till 120. I bless you. And I wish you to have this <laughs> oh, problem no. till 120. Why 120? Till 120. I know I'm going through that. Every time I grow, and the Rabbi Shalom is really pushing me to grow, I get a huge level of happiness, but there's also a huge amount of stress that comes with it. I've just, just as wondering. I tell people all the time, I have sessions on me once in two weeks. I just had a session on me two days ago, this past Sunday. Normally, I feel it last. Now, with certain huge growths that I'm that I'm doing now in my life, I feel like I could use another one already. I mean, the Rabbi Shleilim is pushing me, and I've asked for that, and I'm growing with it. But while I'm going through this growth, boy, it takes process. And part of the process is how to remain happy and to learn to institute certain positive self-care tools that will help you. To me, one of the self-care, by the way, that keeps me positive is this program. I love it. I get energized. This is a real thrill to me. It's a challenge. I don't know what's coming. It's something I don't have to have the pressure of the achrayis of week after week. I don't need to have family members call, calling up saying, yes, we see growth, but this isn't. We're not dealing with setbacks. It's just, I take your question. I love it, not knowing what's coming up. Get positive feedbacks, and in six to ten minutes, we're on to the next. So wow. that's part of the self-care. I gain a lot from this program as well from doing this. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd like to give you the second response that I feel can be great. If you listen to the program, I have over there on that section one in the English part, I think it's number 48 and 49 or 49 and 50, 
which are I have divided into there are 16 natures that we have that yeah. I've at least divided the natures into 16 natures and in yeah. that program what I explain is we have opposite natures so if there are 16 natures we probably use top four that we use three to four that we live on so some of us might be very emotional some of us might get excited like those emotional calls let's call it the codependence very smart that we can see into the future I call that the intuitive level very emotional so you feel things you might also be that 911 I call the Hatsala energy where you can get up in times of emergencies you're over there but at the same time you might also have an energy that needs quiet so if we are giving three of our natures but we're not balancing that fourth one we will not feel happy with ourselves so the point of that program over there, those two programs, is to recognize the different natures and how to utilize those natures and recognize who you are and where you are. So when you take care of your complete self, that's when you're happy. So the less part of ourselves we take care of, you might have a self-esteem, but if part of you needs quiet and you're not giving it to yourself, you will not be happy. If part of you needs excitement, you need to do that nature walk. You need to do that swimming, and you're not doing that. If you're a physical person and you're not getting a big gift, you're not using your physical work. You're going to be very depressed being an accountant because you're a physical person. So part of what it is is to, part of it is for you, okay, part of it to is for you to recognize what your natures are. The number of this program that I give over there, the nature, I divide it into two programs. So they're two hours share in total. They're an hour each of them. Is to my phone line. First, it's 718-298-2011, 718-298-2011. And there I have the program, it is it's in section one, I think it's number 48 and number 49. So someone called up and asked me to repeat that, so it's again number 48 and 49. And in the Yiddish section, it's, I think that's section four, and it's the one number off, so it's number 49 and 50. And in the near future, which we really hope to have, to have it for the j Radio, where you can download it, and on my website, we're going to be able to download all these here and free. So you can have that. So I appreciate that, and that's a goal that we're focusing on. All right, Malki, well, does that make sense? Listen. Yes, it really does. So I hope let's it take will that happen. for a second. Since you called up Brave, and I appreciate it, all the way from the UK, I would ask you, what nature do you feel you have that you might not be u utilizing, that if you would utilize it, you would feel better? I am naturally a speaker, but I don't really get a chance to do that. There you go. Like now, I could you just imagine for a minute what it's like when you can speak to 10 people? I love that. There you I go. Really You've just answered the point. So your self-esteem is healthy. But I can't just call 10 people to speak to. You it doesn't come in. You certainly <laughs> can. Of course you can. Sure. <laughs> go right ahead. Take five friends. Tell them. I want to prepare <laughs> concepts. I listened to Mordechai Weirmiger's program on self-esteem. I'm no going to break way, it down do to that. 15 minutes. What? I can't do that. It doesn't, it there you go. Now let's recognize: the longer you will deny your nature, the not happy the, you will. The longer not happy you will remain. If the Rabbeinu Shlem has created, has given you a talent and a nature, understand the Rabbeinu Shlem is saying, "I believe in you. I gave it to you to use." Use it. If who the Rabbi Shalom believes in you, Malki, I believe in you. But who said I have to use it now? Ah, you're the one saying that. The first minute I asked you, what's the nature the Rabbi Shalom has given you? And you said, I can do speaking, and I'm not doing that. It means you felt it now. When you were three years old, did you feel this need to speak publicly, or that's that nature? No, I just started seeing it a few years ago. 
All right, so that so you need to be using this already a few years. As we get older and our natures, the Rebbeinu wants us to start using it. He gives us that little wake-up call, that little tug, that little string pulling you from up there from Shemayim, saying, me, the Rebbeinu Shlema, telling you, use your power. You use it, you'll feel great. You don't. You're going to feel well, sad. It really makes sense, because I remember in school when I used to, in high school, when I used to like, have to give a speech, I used to feel so like invigorated and excited about life. And then now, I don't have a chance. That's it. It's just, yeah. You got it. And that is the exact point of that nature. That is the exact point of that of those two programs for people to start identifying. And in that program, you'll hear that we have many opposites. So I, my natures are extreme opposites. I love very public life, like doing this thing publicly, thousands of people listening, and at the same time, I need the exact opposite of complete privacy. Wow. We are able to have opposites, and I need to feed both my natures. And when I don't feed them, I get so overwhelmed. I get sometimes so angry within myself. I get so wow. codependent. It's amazing. Wow, this is really enlightening. Yes, it is. And that's exactly why I do those Something programs. Something new. <laughs> wow, okay. I think I will listen in. And, um, so I now, really before you hang you up, do you me. think you can do some public little speech? Um, not really. I just know why I'm upset. Why I'm not let's happy. rephrase that. What can you do? If the Rabbi Shlem is nudging you, he's nudging you. So let's try to be a Yidin, since we're from. Uh, let's try to listen to him. What can you do? Let's, before we hang up, what can you do to speak to a couple of people? I can't really do anything about it until I get offer. How about Shabbos, Friday night at the table, you can listen to one of my programs, and uh, there's always Gemaras there, Medrashim, so this way it can be Tyra. Or prepare some other people, get four or five friends and say, hey, I will condense one of Mordechai's pro Weinberg's programs or on nature's. Do that. Try it. I think I would love that. Oh. Perhaps I could try it. Mm -hmm. Good. And remember, it could even be your best friends. It does not matter to you. Well, if that's your nature, I got a little secret to tell you. The more people listen, the more energized you're going to be. The more fearful, I, I remember, do, I there's, remember a whole, there's a whole negativity with balance as in the programs we go into the positive and negatives there's a whole negativity to that the bigger the mistakes you might make the more afraid you might be the more you'll hold yourself back but it's still your energy okay. if the Rebbein Shalem has given you that talent you're going to have to use it okay I think I will congratulations and welcome to identifying a talent that you have thank you for that and one thing can you also call back for feedback when you've spoken once or tried it once I'm a bit embarrassed just no. Uh, well, I'm not asking you to give the speech over here. I'm just asking you to call back, not. saying I did a little and I really feel better. And since, and one of the things to notice is once you make that choice, once you make that choice to to speak publicly, you're gonna find from the minute you make that choice, you'll be happy. So it might be a month away from that speech, but the minute you start preparing, you're going to to do that. Glad and Malki, I'm just gonna ask you, don't hang up for whatever reason. I'm getting over here a number where our where our technician would like to speak to you a second. So so actually someone interesting, we're getting over here a message that someone called up that would like to speak to you. They have a place where you might even be able to speak. Maybe just listening. Someone just called up and said they have a place where you can speak. So don't hang up. Our wonderful Aaron over here that does such amazing work picking up will hook you up. You're hooked up. I guess for that, I also got to tell everyone, I really, really appreciate the level that we have over here to the listeners. 
information, Makairis, sometimes I've said I know there's a Makar, and then I get it the next day, the text when people hear it or on the spot of information. We've got major Talmidah Chacham, I'm listening. We have people that are caring, people are looking to help. When we had, when we offered for the teens at risk of people to volunteer, we got just live on the program, 30 people ready to stand up to listen to. So I appreciate each of you, the listener, for making it this quality program and for those of you that are brave enough to call in. So Malki, I'm going to put you on hold and Aaron will take care. She's on line five and what a pleasure. All right, we're going to line two to Chana. Chana, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yes, hi, Mordechai. Thanks for your program. I, I listen to it online a lot, and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a mother of a Thank few you. kids. Uh, I'm a mother of a few kids, and my oldest son doesn't have such social skills. How old is your oldest son? He's, he's 11. 11. I, I hope I won't, you know, start crying. Um, basically, kids were bullying him throughout the years. And the yeshiva looked away at the point that he doesn't want to go to school anymore. Um, forget it. I'll just put them. I'll email. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll ask Aaron to come over here. You can text the number, and I'm going to read it. You know what? Or if you feel comfortable, do it on the Lakewood Scoop. And this right. way, um, just go to their website. And this way, you'll come. Uh, hopefully, they'll put it right on. Do it right away. Okay. I'll yes. do it right now. Okay, thanks. Okay, very good. And I would like to just give you a bit of information while you're staying on. I would like you to identify. And I don't know if the crying is the pain of what's going through with your son, or sometimes you might be going through a lot of stuff in life. And the answer always to help our kids is what they teach us on in lifeguarding, what they teach you on the plane is first take care of the oxygen. First give yourself the oxygen, and then you can help your kids. I'm well, basically trying. I'm, I've been trying and talking to you, school. No, 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 not to him, but to yourself. Have you gone to any therapist how to balance all this? Um, I've been open about it. I've been talking to people. No. Mm -hmm. uh, That's not what I'm asking. Enough. The level of tears that you're in, the level of pain that you're in, is very hard to affect change. You need to be strong within yourself, calm right. within yourself. Right, so basically what happened, you know, um, it always was like two kids in the class that were constantly, you know, bullying other kids, and it, it kept on, you know, it wasn't only my son, and one boy was constantly suspended. Um, you know, we always had certain situations that we tried taking care of. You know, I feel helpless by the fact this Sunday my son came home crying that, like uh, a kid, a uh, class from 24, there was only seven kids that were not involved of literally playing a dance, kicking him, and and literally hitting him. And by the time when he got a chance to go to principal, um, they took his briefcase, turned it over, and he's a very he's a very good child. And he's, um, you know, I buy him science books as opposed to, you know, novels. He always likes to read, you know. when yeah. They had a trip, and once... You know, they were passing a certain ocean. My husband, my son said, oh, you know, this is this and this ocean. So the boy says, how do you know? So he said, because my father told me. So the boy says, you're stupid and your father is stupid. He's, like, into geography and this. Like, basically, it comes to a point that, like, um, I find the school, like, whenever I call the school, they Let were saying, Let me ask you a question. I'm going to try to go very gentle over here. Tell me about your childhood, your experience in school. 
Um, depending on the year, um, I, I would say I was basically, I had friends. Um, would you say you were the center people took considered you? And when we say de friends... Depending on the year. I would say in high school, yes. In elementary, you know, I shifted. I mean, I had good friends. But in high school, I really opened up. Um, why? What does it have to do with me? A huge <laughs> amount. Because many um, times when we go through difficult times in our childhood, right? we and the kids, so I'm going to... Yeah, but I have my other kids who are very popular in school. What does it Yes, but do? there's always going to be that kid that will trigger us, that will bring out our weakness. That is the Nesayin that Rabbi Shalom gives every parent. He has this amazing talent. I don't know if it's coveted to say about Rabbi Shalom, but he creates us in a marriage and gives us children that will mirror our weakness. And I believe part of that, this is my belief, so you can disagree, is for us to grow, for us to heal the wounds that were inhaled yet so we cannot avoid life. And your son's pain might be bringing up that inner pain that you have or that you cried or that you went through. And that's why, again, when I do client-centered theory, my type of therapy, if you would be my client, it would not be about your son. Maybe for crisis management, I'll send you to another therapist or we'll do twice a week, one to give you tips. But the other session would be strictly about your subconscious, healing the so pains. My, my and question when is, anybody who has um, feels their the child's pain for bullying equals to a person, the fact that they were a child at one point in their lives. I mean, I'm trying to understand what Say that again, say that again. I'm trying to understand what you're trying to indicate over here, that basically any child, any parent who feels the pain for the child being bullied it has to do with their own childhood. <laughs> um, do you notice how you practically broke down on the line, how painful that is? It's fresh. It's very fresh. You yes. know, now, I when mean... you say the word fresh, here is where, where we explain in therapy that I will show you 10 other calls that I've gotten on the radio where parents call that their kid is being bullied. I agree it wasn't to the extent that you said that if there are 28 kids and only 7 kids didn't, that means 20 boys literally kicked your son. It wasn't to that extent. But the emotions where a parent, where our weaknesses get triggered, our emotions now continues triggering. Well, I explain all the time to my clients is emotions are catchy. When you see a teacher, I always give this classical example in the girls' schools where you can have the decompartmental, the English departments, and they can have 15 teachers, sometimes 8 to 10 teachers in 2 hours or 3 hours. They have 20-minute uh, programs. You see the same class with one teacher be on time. Another one, not get their books. Another one, make sure the homework is done and early. Another one, where everyone is expressing their opinions. Another one, that the kid is afraid to say something. It's the same class. Is the class borderline? Is the class, class got a personality disorder? And the answer is always, it's the person within what energy, what we're coming there. If parents have a weakness, our weakness, unfortunately, can many times make our kids' weakness that much more. It can heighten it. I've given a classical example how a parent was never, or use the word, this is a real example, where a parent was bullied as a kid on the bus. So at this parent, any time a kid sits on the kid's seat or any time a kid tells them, the parents go, yell at them, tell them, fight, don't give in. And because the parent is pushing the six-year-old kid to be so assertive because of their past, now they've broken their own kid's confidence because this kid can't do it all. They're six right. years old. So I have quite a few kids in our yeshiva, and the kids on the bus also bully. It happens to be, the, like, you know, various times. 
And, you know, at one point we said, you know, like, please stick up for yourself. Start, you know, somebody hits you, just hit back. And here's where I just need to clarify the point. He's such a good nishama. He he always says, like, I don't want to do nakama. Since second grade, he always used to say, I don't want to do nakama. So let's take a step back over here. So what I'm just trying to clarify is that there are two points. There's one, I have a whole program on bullying. I think that's also from the last five or ten that I have on my phone line. But I need you to realize as a mother, as a therapist, I'm saying this with the deepest respect, the level of pain that you're in, you're not able to help him anymore. You're now becoming a liability instead of an asset. One of the main reasons why therapists are not allowed to work with family and friends is because we do not have the detachment that's needed to guide. We get emotionally triggered. When we're emotionally triggered, our view of life gets very limited. If you're under this pain, it's very hard for you now to coach your son. And I would recommend that if your son got physically beaten up the way, a find him a therapist, not just a life coach. No, a therapist that has experience with bullying. And you need to get help how to balance your emotions right now if you want to change around this kid's entire view of himself. If this is going on for years, unfortunately, it can affect a kid to always feel bullied. When he says he will not do nakama, that is not tyrannic. That is not accurate. And you might not be able to help him because you're emotionally triggered. That abuse is, stopping abuse is not halacha, is not called nakama. That's called other avers where you're over, by not protecting yourself. You know, and that, and that affects this whole lifestyle at home. Because, exactly, you know, and that's because... where he needs therapy. But again, if you've got still that weakness within you, here's where I would recommend that you have your husband take over the case until you clear it out the insides because you're Definitely. emotionally triggered. He's not. He's he he's very supportive, but he's not um, very much involved in it. Like you know. That's he, right. And here is where the dance sort of comes up. I didn't want to go there because it's a little bit delicate. But let me ask you: Do you notice extremes? Is your husband sometimes? Can he get very angry? No. Can, no, my husband. No, my husband happens to be the the least. Um, he never, barely ever raises his voice or anything. He's very. He's a very calm person. A very calm father. Let me ask this way. Does he know how to keep to his sayings? When he does something, he sticks to it? Yes. Yes. So when I when I refer to someone tougher, let's rephrase it that way, it doesn't have to be someone that yells. It means someone that's not flexible. Is your husband a flexible person? Flexible in which way? I mean, I'm trying flexible to Flexible means can change his opinion easily. Can hear someone else say, okay, we'll do something different. Mm, no, no, he's not. That's right. So there seems to be a bit of a dynamic over here going on where your son isn't being taught the balance. You're overly emotional. He is very not flexible. And the need, in order to protect yourself, that's where I believe where parents, where kids need the healthy balance of parents. We need the emotion of the mother. We need the assertiveness of the father. And we need both energies how to survive in life. And it sounds like your son is missing that energy, that information, that assertiveness from your husband. Now, your husband, since he's got assertiveness, it might be too much, but he can educate your son in what's needed. So this is your weakness. Until you don't get healed in that area, I would not recommend that you train him. That's your weakness. If you don't know how to paint, are you going to teach your son how to paint? No. That's right. So that's where I feel your issue is, and what he needs to learn assertiveness, this is your husband's job. That's where he's an expert in. And that's the one that should be educating him. Okay, we got two minutes right. to go. I'd like to take a question, Thank two you. questions from the Lakewood Scoop. Thank you, okay. um, Hannah, for calling in. I appreciate hey. that. We are going to take Leah, but let me just read the question. Leah, we'll try to get to you in a minute. 
Question okay. is over here. We have two questions on behavioral issues. Says, my son is 15 and not behaving in yeshiva. My husband is a very angry person. What can I do for my kids, especially my 15-year-old? And here again, it's about you learning. As we just had this, as we've just had Leah, what we need to get from you is for you to become the mother and the father. Means you need to learn how to be the gentle mother or the loving mother, but you also need to learn how assertiveness and healthy because your kid might be mirroring a lot of what is going on in your house. So if your 15-year-old son is not behaving, your husband's got anger issues, you need to start teaching and take over that area. Uh, second question from Chevy says, thank you. First of all, thank you for your show. Just some background. I come from a childhood of physical and verbal abuse. Bar Hashem, it has made me a stronger person. I am happily married with children. My question is, when my father, the abuser, comes to visit or says something on the phone, in parentheses, I live very far from him, in parentheses, sometimes can trigger something inside me and it makes me physically sick. I become an emotional wreck and it really affects my abilities as a wife and as a mother. This does not happen often, but when it does, it takes a great toll on me and my family. Any advice to protect myself? Thank you. Yes. My advice to you is an interesting advice. That advice is as follows. For all of you listening, let's recognize our past. Emotions live in our present and live in our future. So although you're older, you haven't spoken to your father in years, or whoever has emotionally hurt you in years, that pain still lives in our subconscious. And all it takes is a little point to trigger that, and we're up, and we're alive. So let's understand that that is our goal, to help you identify and recognize that feelings and emotions are very much alive, and we've got to work on that. Feelings and emotions are something that affect us. So my suggestion to you is work on your feelings, work on your subconscious, Go to a therapist that knows how to deal with emotional pains So, because they live within you and it's not just your father that triggers you. He does the big stuff, but from experience, you have so many other triggers when someone else will do similar to whatever triggers you of your past. It will affect you. Um, let's just see how long do we have, Aaron? On the time-wise, I don't see the time. All right. Thank you all for listening. I'm Hashem Leah. We will go to you next week. Please call in. We'll try to take your question first. Thank you all for listening, Mrs. Hashem. Actually, not next week. It'll be in two weeks, probably the week after Shavuos. Thank you all and Hatzlacha.